Hey, Willow. Hey, Gene. Welcome to another episode of Bookstabber, the podcast where we talk books to death, apparently. <laughs> yes, it is, a, it is a frightfully spooktacular bookstabber. <laughs> wow, very, very, uh, very Halloween. It'll, it'll be Christmas by, by the, the time, time this release comes this. out. Halloween will be over for months. Long gone. As, as uh, was it Brian Adams who said long gone? Who's Brian know. Adams? Uh, Canadian singer, pop artist in the 80s, probably still around. Fantastic. Did a, did a uh, famous for a song that I would know? Uh, she's gone. Long, 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 long gone. Does that not ring a bell? No, I don't know that one. Sorry. Uh, I, I need somebody. Run away. Cuts like a knife. Welcome to Bookstabber, the podcast where we talk about <laughs> Canadian pop star Brian Adams. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, what, are we, what, are, what book are we going to talk about slash spoil in its entirety today, Willow? Today we are talking about Ringworld by Larry Niven. Written in 1970. It also won the Hugo and Locus Awards uh, in 71. Um, yeah, like, uh, have you read, read anything else by Niven? Nope, I have not. Well, you just this morning, you forwarded me uh, an essay that I had knowledge of called uh, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never actually read it in its gory details. <laughs> But as, a, but as a comic book nerd, it is not un, unknown to me. Yeah, I, I had always heard of it as Man of Steel, uh, Woman of Tissue Paper. But I guess that's because the Kleenex people got a hold of uh, <laughs> a hold of some kind of trademark issue there and made them I'm, I'm sorry, the, cl- the Kleenex people got upset about it, not DC Comics? Well, I thought it was I thought it was Woman of Tissue Paper. So I, when, when I was looking it up uh, this morning to see if I could find it uh, online, um, yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think the DC people had anything to say about it, but but. Um, they didn't want to uh, corroborate. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's very famous. It was, that, that essay came out in 69, uh, right around the time this, this book came out as well. Or it was written in 69, I think, and it came out in 71. Um, but, um, yeah, and that's all about Superman's mating problems with a, with a human mate uh, and, and, and how, how his, how his uh, sperm would literally blow the head off of uh, a human woman. That is 1,000% more than I was hoping to talk about on this podcast uh, of that essay. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Moving on to the topic of uh, Ringworld. Uh, well, 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 so, so Ringworld is, is set in a universe that Niven created and has written about extensively uh, called the Known Space Universe. Uh, it looks like most of the books in the Known Space um, kind of sequence are are volumes of short stories about the man Kazin Ward's wars, um, which are which is a war between two different between men and this alien species of known as the Kazin, which are these giant cats, uh, which do make an appearance in Ring World. Uh, there's 15 volumes of anthologies so far. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see that. Um, the coolest thing about Niven to, for me is he wrote uh, episodes of the original Land of the Lost. He wrote uh, some Star Trek. Oh, really? An- yes, he wrote some Star Trek animated series. Uh, episodes way back in the day back in the 70s and um he also wrote green lantern comics at some point so i'm oh. I, I'm, I'm on board to read this and, and there was a graphic novel adaptation of ring world in the 2010s that i never saw that i don't remember seeing do you remember seeing that at all no this is the first i've heard of yeah so um and of course i love i love uh well ring world is about an orbital a very large ring that is around a a sun um which made an appearance in which book that we read together willow uh, the Ian e. Banks one. <laughs> you mean my favorite space opera of all time? Consider, <laughs> consider Phlebas? Yes. Correct. Yes. Correct, Amundo. There is an orbital that is being taken apart uh, in Consider Phlebas. So so we get to go to an orbital, see its vast scale, and then see it uh, destroyed. It, it's the last day of the orbital when uh, 
the uh, shapeshifter and the crew kind of crash land there. And I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder about how much Banks drew from Ringworld in creating that that vision. Uh, there is definitely some some there, but uh, it would be hard not to be uh, not to have something of a of a ring. Sure. I mean, I think that the idea of a ring world certainly has a legacy in science fiction that plenty of other authors have grabbed onto this idea and like, oh, yeah, this would be a great concept to be expanded. But I think I think Niven may have been first. I mean, I'm just going to say, as far as I know, like, like, there isn't anything earlier than this that had a ring, but maybe I'm. He well, he named it, and uh, everyone uses that name as it was fair use. So, yep, I think I think he must have invented it. Cool, cool. Do you want to give the pitch for this book? No, I think you need to give the pitch for this one because I'm a little. Uh, <laughs> my brain is full of other books at the moment. Okay, uh, let's see. The book opens on the 200th birthday of a human named Lewis Wu. He's kind of as close as humanity has to an explorer. He's kind of undergone rejuvenation treatments, but he's bored, and he's been bored several times in his life. And when he gets bored, he goes out and he does something adventurous. And on Earth, there are these transportation, I don't know if they're cylinders or they're pods or what, but there's instantaneous transportation around the Earth. And uh, he transports, and he's going to go somewhere, and he ends up in a hotel room with um, this alien creature called a puppeteer, a Pearson's puppeteer, which has uh, two heads and a hump, and it's kind of triangular with three, three big legs. And they're known for being cowards. And the puppeteer says basically, "Hey, um, we're gonna we're gonna go on an exploration mission. I want you to come? Here's a picture of this thing, and it's obviously the Ring World, which we know we know about from from the back of the book, probably. Um, and he and he says, I just need to put together uh, the team. It's gonna be four people, including me. Um, and then they go to a restaurant and they recruit a Kazin, a giant cat." And then uh, they're trying, like they're all they're all kind of at Lewis Wu's birthday party, and they are waiting for um, the to, for the puppeteer to find the puppeteer's name is Nessus to find the fourth member of the crew, and uh, it turns out that she is uh, the young twenty year old woman that Lewis Wu has been flirting with, who is related to someone he was in love with once upon a time. Uh, what is her name? Her name is Tila Tila Brown. Tila Brown. And they set off. They set off to. <laughs> go to this ring world and explore it and things go terribly wrong and they crash land on the ring and uh, they end up having what is kind of an adventure um but is much more a than a book about the adventure or about the characters it is to me a a book full of ideas uh it is uh kind of science fiction of its time uh like i said it won the hugo and the nebula uh yeah that's that would be my pitch how does that sound yeah, that is, uh, if that sounds good to you and you don't want spoilers, you should stop listening to this. Go pick up a copy of Ringworld. Maybe <laughs> join us back in a couple weeks. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's very much a book of its time. Um, you mean in terms of uh, the constant sexualization of, of the old characters? Or? Of, the, of the only woman there, yeah, I mean... So, oh so, no, there's there's another woman later. Oh, there is there is another. She what, is a woman of sorts. only special in that she is a sexual being. Yes. Well, she's a she's like a replicant basically for our, from uh, like a pleasure model from uh, Blade Runner. Um, is that what she is? Well, no, I don't think she's a replicant, but but that's basically the, her function in the story. It's very strange. Uh, well, she's sort of a. It's weird to jump so so late into the book to talk about. I think she's like. Um, She's kind of a seductress, right? Like she's using she she she's described as being like so good at sex that just bend any man to her will. Well, she, she she's she she well yeah let, let, let's uh 
well, she was there for sex, the sex and comfort of the crew on whatever ship she was on a long time ago. I think we're talking about a different, maybe. Oh, really? Uh, well, well, uh, l- l- I'm l- talking about like the high priestess who. Yeah, that's who I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. On the, ri- I don't remember anything of her. Okay. I think that's what she was. Whatever she was. Well, anyway, so so Lewis Wu. Uh, so a couple of ideas that come out early in the book are the instant travel around the Earth. Um, there's very little done with that. Uh, uh, people are living a very long time. There's some done with that. Um, and, we and, don't spend a lot of time on Earth. We, we get we get the crew pretty quickly out into space on a on a voyage right. towards what, what, this mysterious relic world. Well, I, I, I want to say the weirdest thing about the Earth part, real quick, is is that everybody seems to be able to just look like whatever they want to. There is some kind of there's some kind of like everybody is all the races have bred together, and nobody really everybody kind of looks very similar in terms of how what their features look like but Louis Wu is dressed up like Fu Manchu basically he has chrome skin and uh, a queue that is kind of blue white it's supposed to be the color of a dwarf star light um, like a big a big blue robe he's supposed to look very very Asian but that's not really what he looks like so it's very strange that that's what he looks like and then when he meets Tila at the party Tila has like blue skin with silver threads on it her hair is like flames her eyes are convex mirrors it, it, it's very strange but but that's probably an right. early early version of that like I hadn't I don't know if I've seen that in a book that's earlier than this um, I don't remember most of the de- the only detail I remember about either their physical appearance but the audiobook I listened to always only referred to him as Louis Wu uh, that Louis's uh, hair was braided into a queue uh, or however you pronounce that mm-hmm, yep so that was that was the only visual reference I had for him. Hmm. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's bizarre to go back and kind of look at it. And then there's like a little bit of, I don't. I mean, I mean, like so humanity coexists with a bunch of different alien races, and the puppeteers are one race. And the puppeteers are notable because they've all fled known space at some point years before. Um, and we find out right. that the puppeteers the... are sort of enigmatic. I I would like to interject that. Um... This was when when the puppeteers show up. Uh, well, because we only ever meet two species of alien. It's like we have our humans. Right. We have two main human characters. Then we we have our Gazin uh, speaker to animal. And then we have our puppeteer Nessus. And um, when these aliens were being described, I thought, you know, I think I've heard of these guys. Um, so I was googling them, and I discovered a piece of art of a puppeteer from uh, Wayne Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrial, which is one of ah. my favorite. Uh, art books that i had as a very young child uh, so i remember that book yeah oh that's fun if anyone uh if anyone wants a fun illustration of, of what this range two-headed uh three-legged alien would highly recommend yeah yeah i mean what, 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 what is oh, I, well, I, I mean there, there's things that are notable about each species that like we that we need to know before the book goes on right like, sure. Like, like, I mean, like, the Kazin like, are basically just big, muscular catmen, right? Right. They're catmen. Uh, they're gigantic. They um, they have kind of killer instincts. They're kind of the Klingons, basically, right? But cats. Oh, they're extremely. They're extremely like Klingons. Yeah. Wait, wait, uh, wait, almost wait. too much. Well, which is cool. I mean, they're, they're very clearly they've been developed for decades by by Niven. Um, I don't think he copied the Klingons because back when he wrote this like the Klingons were not much right if, if anything I think Star Trek kind of came along in his wake more than not because he, he's been writing about the man uh, Kazin Wars for so long um, that's true the, well the original series Klingons not to get into Star Trek too much were basically just an adversarial species as far as we knew pretty similar to humans the, the whole like honor bound <clears throat> warrior right. idea really came in next generation right so I guess that if anything I suppose maybe uh, 
Niven led that um, led that charge with the Kazin. Right. It, it, Gene Roddenberry might have uh, read a copy of Ringworld and like, this is good. I'll rip this off good, for good, the <laughs> good stuff. Uh, and 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 so the puppeteers uh, are are thought to be cowards, which is very clearly not true. Um, at least in, in terms of Nessus, um, they had some kind of big business empire, and they are fleeing. They are fleeing known space because uh, there has been an explosion at the Galactic Core, which everybody seems to know about. Uh, something at the Galactic Core went nova like 10,000 years ago, but it won't reach the Earth for another 20,000 years, so nobody really cares. Everybody's just partying like it's 1999 still. Uh, and and so, but but uh, we also find out that the um, the puppeteers, like the fleeing puppeteer fleet, they won't go into hyperspace. They won't use FTL travel. They consider it to be uh dangerous because some ships disappear um and so there is a giant migration of puppeteers out there that we will visit briefly uh on the way to the ring um oh and nessus offers uh to uh lewis Wu and humanity and to uh speaker to animals and the kazin like the reward for going on this adventure is basically a ship that just goes incredibly fast um it's it's orders of magnitude faster than anything the humans and the kazin have ever possessed before right. it- it's some specialized super engine only the puppeteers have access to, and everyone wants right. it be- for obviously reasons. Because traveling through space takes a long time, right? But this will help them escape this massive galactic destruction that's inevitable. Right, right. And um, for me, the interesting thing here is that like it comes out pretty soon. I mean, so, so Man and Kazin have been at in conflict for a long time. Um, there have been numerous wars. Uh, and and the Kazin have basically lost over and over and over again. It's always it's cost them like huge amounts of their population and some of the worlds they've settled. Um, My understanding of the the Man Kazin wars that um, the Kazin are like as soon as they find someone that they that that they are able to go to war with, that they will do it immediately. Um, and this is sort of their greatest flaw as well is that mm-hmm. they they want to fight so much that they don't take into consideration all of the problems associated with right they just they just want to fight so badly yeah so they essentially are committing mass suicide uh not really worrying about the losses they're not really worrying about their own uh, internal resources because none of none of the gazin find honor in things farming or you know mining or whatever like i'm sure some of them do that out of obligation but all they really want to do is die in glorious death right and um much is made of the the kind of gulf between twenty year old Tila and two hundred year old Louis Wu, um, and uh, Tila Tila is offered um, the position for a very strange reason. The position on the crew, mm-hmm. um, like, and it has to do with uh, well, well. So, so, so there's two other things about Earth. There's a thing called booster spice, which prevents aging, which Louis Wu ha- Louis Wu has taken several times, and um, that's notable. So he's he's 200 years old, but young. He, he appears just to be a, a man in his prime. And uh, like on Earth, because because of this booster spice, there's an overpopulation problem. And so there's something called the fertility board. Uh, basically, every, every human's allowed to be a parent once. Um, but if you're kind of special, you can reproduce more than that. And you're allowed to buy birthright if you if you're rich or you can fight for it in the arena which we never see but it's 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 reference very strange uh and every year there's every year there's a lottery based on the number of people who have died versus the number of people who have um lived and uh tila's ancestors for five generations have been born from winning lottery tickets and so nessus basically says that uh tila tila is lucky She's incredibly lucky. She's been bred for luck, and so that's why Tila is part of the crew. And 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 Wu, Wu kind of thinks this is insane, 
and and we go along. It's such a bizarre concept that like because anyone who's alive at all theoretically would have for luck, right? Yeah, but not not as much as Tila, not as much as Tila Brown apparently. Um, and Tila Brown, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I, I do not think Tila Brown is blue at this point. I think the makeup has come off. I think she and Louis Wu are more or less uh, average humans. Uh, and so they set off in this in this ship to go to the puppeteer's uh, fleet. They're rejoining the puppeteer's fleet. Nobody knows where that is. Nobody's seen a puppeteer for years. Um, and uh, there's some tension with uh, Speaker to Animals, the the giant kitty. And uh, what is his what is his uh, his weapon called? Oh, a variable sword. That's what it's called. He has this thing. It's like a lightsaber, which is kind of cool. Oh, well, there's a couple of weapons that are mentioned over the course of the book. And I, for the life of me, I couldn't understand, like, what was, um... The Tasp? There's something that was called, well, there's, right, the Tasp is something that, that Nessus has, which is a, a weapon that just induces pure pleasure in someone, which just incapacitates them. Right. That it's the, it's the most orgasmic, uh, like, religious way that you could ever experience. And it will make them dependent on that thing, just like, like, uh, if you're like a wirehead, mm-hmm. if you're... If you've got that, your, right. your pleasure center is just directly wired to a battery or something. Right. What was right. The, what was the other one? Well, there's uh, there's there's a flashlight later, right? Isn't that what it's called? Oh yeah, there, there, well there are, they have weapons that aren't really weapons uh, on the on the expedition, right? right? But but the only other real then there's the real weapon weapon that, is that, the, is the sword, which will cut through anything. But it has like a little. Well, there's one that um, they constantly refer to speaker to animals having, which it's called like the slaver mining weapon or something. Oh, that, that's like I, a, that, I couldn't. That's like a big. It's like a big thing that like scoops out huge amounts of material via either lasers or sonics. I can't remember. And yeah, so that's like this this hugely destructive shovel, basically, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that. Um, it, they talk about it a lot, um, although it never actually, as far as I could tell, it never does anything. Well, it it it, it digs a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> like at some point, it's like, well, the, th- this th- book is. Um, there's a, there's I'll a, say this: this book is kind of hard to follow for me. I I enjoy almost all of the character interactions and I enjoy it, but the mm-hmm. actual momentum plot stuff is all just kind of a mess. Well, well, yeah, because it's kind of like it's it's like they go to the like on the way to the puppeteers thing. I think uh, Speaker to Animals tries to to the puppeteers ships to the the fleet. Uh, Speaker to Animals tries to take over the ship at some point, right? Yeah, that that happens almost immediately. Where he just holds, he, he tries to hold them all hostage, right? And he's like, I don't, I'm not going to go on this mission. I'm just going to take the ship. I'm going to take it to my species. I'm going to be hailed as a hero, and then we're going to mass produce this super engine, and we're going to take over humanity. Right. Because that's all we care about. <laughs> right, 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 right. We're going to get revenge. And uh, and then the puppeteer like just like pleasures him <laughs> in a submission. Right. <laughs> Uses the task, which humiliates him so much. He's like, please never do that again. Well, I'll, I'll be obedient from now on. I, I have to say, I have to say it, it's weird because about the first third of the book, like until they get to the ring, there's no tension for me because you know it's a ring. You know what it is, right? And you're kind of waiting for the description of it as they see it. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, what is that? Like, I know what it is from the from the title of the book and from, from right. you know, I mean, like the scale of it's kind of awesome, but it's, well, it's, it's the, an imaginary thing. Well, the description thing. of, right. I mean, the description of a ring world is, isn't, it's telegraphed from the title and whatnot, but like what is actually on the ring world or what is the story behind it? Right. We don't know. Well, um, well and, and, and like, well, like, like you get, so you get these interactions. Like, like the Earth parts are good. I think you're right. Like, like, like putting the crew together is kind of fun. You get, you get some sense of character, but it's kind of very stereotypical in a way. Although, my, my favorite thing is that Nessus, the the puppeteer, basically says that he's he's insane according to his 
to his species, right? right? Because because like and and humans will never see one like like one of the puppet puppeteers that is not insane, because to to go engage with an alien species according to his species you have to be insane. So he is he is by definition right. crazy, and his reward for doing this is that he will get to breed, <laughs> right? Right. This is this is one of my favorite moments is how. um, Right. So he is kind of a pariah among people. Right. Uh, And and I disagree with what you said earlier that clearly they aren't cowards, but he every time that he isn't a coward in his own description is a moment of mania that. Well, it is, but he's he's not not acting sane. Well, he's he's, I mean, like like, because to to recruit the the cousin, he uh, goes and insults him. Right. Well, no, Louis insults the cousin. No, um, no, 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 but, 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 but does other stuff. No, Nessus insults him first. Nessus kind of challenges him in a way, and then uh, right. sa- says like says he did something on a he kicked some cousin on a planet and broke a bunch of his exoskeleton or something. It was very strange. Uh, anyway, but but, but, but uh, it was fine. So one of the fun moment is that um, Nessus is speaking to the, to the Grand Council of the puppeteers or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, all right, your reward is that you'll be allowed to have a child. You'll be allowed to mate. And uh, Nessus sort of doubles or nothing and says, oh, I have the right to mate, but uh, I I will require a mate. Like, no one, if no one will mate with me, it's worth nothing. And so the one that is the, that they call the hindmost, like the president of their, or whatever. Right, right, right. Uh, says like, fine, I will, I will be your mate. Uh, to which uh, I think Louis says, now, wait a minute. Uh, you've used uh, he, him pronouns for... For yourself and for this uh, this hindmost, are, are, is one of you actually you know female or what what's going on there? And Ness's response is, I would never I would never admit to a to an alien species, you know, any of our genders because to talk of sex with with an extraterrestrial is the height of embarrassment. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. That's great. That that he is so disgusted by like the thought of anyone knowing about his sex or knowing about you know humans or kazin sex like he would just die of embarrassment meanwhile louis and tila are having sex constantly throughout the book yeah 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 and, and at one point at one point nessa says something like um you guys you copulate more than any other species i've ever heard of or, or something right right you, you humans are always sneaking off to copulate like just like looks down on them um it's kind of great uh but 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 i want to say like like i was a little a little disappointed it makes sense given what we've been told about the puppeteers that they don't have a lot of interaction with the rest of the crew um but you know like like they're there it's kind of awe-inspiring the scale of the exodus of the entire species together um but it's not right but 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 i don't i don't learn a lot about the puppeteers and so like well, I, we learn we we learn a decent amount about the puppeteers through what what you would probably consider explanation, which isn't incorrect. That you know, we, there are discussions later on where Nessus keeps revealing more and more, like how sure uh, the puppeteers have been manipulating humans and Kazin like hundreds of years, right? Yeah, right. No, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. The, I mean, well, I I can't. Well, that that comes out after they crash land on the ring, right? Right, but it's still development that happens. Right. So, yeah. So the puppeteers basically, uh, basically wanted the uh, the humans to take care of the Kazin. So they arranged for the humans to get some kind of uh, faster than light drive that the Kazin didn't have, which allowed the humans to win the wars. Um, and uh, that has in turn bred the Kazin to be less and less aggressive. They're more and more reasonable, more and more able to deal with aliens. Hence the fact that we have speaking think... animals, and and they've also bred the humans for luck. 
I think this book has a really fascinating quality to it that almost no other science fiction or fantasy books that I've encountered does, which is in most science fiction fantasy books, authors really struggle with making the world building actually interesting and come up in a way that doesn't feel forced. Mm -hmm. uh, this book makes that, that world building come out so easily, and that, but then it's everything else that doesn't work as well well you know I, I completely agree with that I, I i think i think there are details that that come out in conversation that that don't feel forced it doesn't feel like joe the explainer um right you know there's I, a because you were just talking about the the man kazin wars that reminded me as a there's a great bit of exposition later where uh speaker to animals talks about how there's like a, a religious sect amongst the kazin that they wear human faces because they're trying to trick God into thinking they're humans. Uh, <laughs> because great. the humans kept winning the wars, and so they think, well, maybe the, maybe the humans are made in God's image, and maybe we can pretend to be humans and win God's favor. Oh, that's pretty and, funny. Like, what a, right, well, that's, that's a better short story than most of the stuff that actually happens in the book. Well, I, and I, In terms of the actual plot to beginning end, like not a ton happens. They get stranded on this on this ring world and just kind of bumble around for a hundred pages. Well, and, and th that's my problem with this book in a way. It's like it's like um, it, well, well, I mean, the thing is like like Nessus and the puppeteers' motivations are very, are made very clear at some point because Wu and the the, the Kazin speaker to animals, they they figure out that basically like like the puppeteers are retreating from the explosion at the galactic core at less than the speed of light. So they're fleeing, and, and and what are they going to find when they get to the lesser what Magellan, uh, lesser cloud of Magellan, right? In eighty five thousand years, it's going to take them eighty five thousand years to get there. What are they going to find? And I think I think it's Wu who says, well, they're going to find us, right? We're going to be there already. We're going to have set up shop because we're going to have these faster than light drives that we will use. Mm -hmm. We're going to all be there. So they need us to be hospitable to them. They need us to to be what they need, and that's why they've they've engineered the men and Kazin. It, the the way the way that they have because that that's what they that's what they want. I mean, I thought that was fascinating, but it doesn't. It, it, it's, well, and it, it's such a weird exploration mission, that, you know. After after that, break. right? Like they just go buzzing well, this thing, and it's it's gigantic, right? <laughs> well, and clearly, there's a lot about the universe that even the puppeteers, with their advanced knowledge, do not know because the Ring World, which is like the most elaborate feat of construction ever made, right? Right. From what we can tell. Uh, was apparently made by humans that, you know, presumably humans are not native to Earth, that Earth is was once one of many colonies or thing. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the ring world is some other offshoot of humanity, and we don't even know where the rest of the humans are, if they went extinct or what. Well, I don't think it's an offshoot of humanity so much. Well, it, it, it's something like like they, they were the, the ring world makers. Well, now we're getting ahead of the game a little bit, right? But like, like there are humans on Ringworld, and that's all we ever see on Ringworld is humans. So it's clear that the right. engineers well, not only were... not only are there humans on Ringworld, it was clearly built by and for humans. So, some kind of humanoid, right? Yeah. Well, no, I think they're they're Homo sapiens. They are they are us in every way. Like they, that, I think is extremely clear. Oh, that was not my takeaway from that. That's interesting. Oh no, I think they're one hundred percent Homo sapiens. Well, so so we so, so uh, let's see the puppeteers' homeworld. The, the the main thing about it is that there's uh, instead of having to go into a booth to transport anywhere instantly, you just step on a piece of concrete basically, and you're transported to the next street. Is that fair? 
uh, I didn't absorb that detail, but I trust you on that one. L- like, there's some kind of thing that's like instantaneous transportation. So you just walk to the end of the street, and like the streets are all connected. It's it's very strange. And Tila kind of gets lost, and then Tila just miraculously finds her way back out of the maze to the ship again, right? As they're about to leave, because Tila is lucky. Sure. So, so a lot of the, a lot of the weirdness in the so there's two sources of tension, right? Well, there's two or three. Like everybody's mad at Nessus because they, after they find out that his species engineered man and Kazin, uh, is Tila lucky or is she unlucky? Um, and is, right. is speaker to animals going to just take over because he's so warlike, right? And is he going to, is he going to kill everybody? Like who knows? And then, and then they're in danger on the ring and are they going to be able to get off? Because they buzz the ring. It goes out to like one AU, right? So it's like earth, it's like the size of earth's orbit. It's a million miles across. Um, it's not very thick, but it's a huge amount of mass. Uh, the weird, the weirdest thing about it is it blocks a lot of neutrinos, which, which, uh, it should not do cause it's not very thick. <clears throat> um, I think it blocks like 40% of neutrinos. Um, and then in the middle, there's a sun, but there's also these big black panels that create night and day on the ring mm-hmm. that spin. Um, so everything spins, the ring spins to make amounts to gravity, very earth-like gravity. Uh, they get too close to one of the black things that creates night and they set off the defenses and they are shot down basically and they crash land onto the surface right. of the ring um the core the core element of of the ring world itself which is a pretty common science fiction idea been, it was explored in star trek and i think previous is that this hyper advanced civilization of humans uh all of at some point their technology st- started failing one by one and it was so advanced that they, they didn't really know how to repair it right and so they just completely become primitive the point of caveman and you know <clears throat> stone age agrarian societies right 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 you know on this hyper advanced you know yeah yeah and so every t- they encounter many different uh groups of, of humans across the ring world uh, each of whom, you know, sees these people. Uh, they 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 think that they are the engineer. Or they're sort of godlike things. Like you must have been the ones who created this world. Well, know well, how and, to actually well, make because, technology work. And that's because they have the technology of these flying cycles, and plus the aliens, right? And um, they have these like right. they have kind of like land speeders that go in the air a little bit. Um, oh, and, and there's one feature of Ring World that is strange. I mean, there there are kind of there are different topological features, but they all seem to be carved into the ring surface. And there's one that's like just this giant mountain that goes almost straight up. Uh, it's, it's very odd. It's remarked on a lot and it becomes very important at the end because nobody's sure quite why. Um, uh, it's worth noting that the ring, the ring holds its atmosphere in because there are walls on the sides. Uh, so as it spins, the atmosphere is just held down to the inner surface of the ring. Right. And so if there was a hole in the ring, all the atmosphere would just leak out. There's, there's no way to replace it because it's not a natural system and there's no, um, there's no ore or anything on the ring because you can't dig down. There's not a, there's not a depth. There's not, there's no, um, continents they didn't bring a bunch of natural minerals well they did but they must have made dirt because there's things growing there i mean it's like there's there's giant bodies of water and there's there's mountains there's different biomes and there's there's plants and animals from i mean apparently from different places like all around in in neighboring star systems or or not not so neighboring star systems including including uh man um but but it's it's very it's very strange and so i mean I, I think the weirdest thing for me as the book progresses to this point is that Tila is really infantilized. Um, yes. The, the whole vision this, of this is a big problem for it's, me. It's hugely is, weird. Is, yeah. It makes sense is in the context Brown, of the book, right? But well, yeah, but an author, Larry Niven wrote it and wrote it in a weird, like, right. Yeah. Me too. Um, me too. Get, right. So Tila Brown who's like 20 years old 
up to this point, like she went on this mission because in her own words, she's deeply in love with Lou. Right. Uh, who is, and he is sort of skeptical of this, uh, you know, and, and at first he's resisted this, but he, you know, classic male protagonist, like, ah, uh, whatever, beautiful woman's in love with me. I can, I can live with this, even though I think that she idiot. and granted she's 20 years old and he's 200 years old. So that's, that's a weird problem. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be. I have a hard time dating people like six years younger than me. So it's a weird problem that's solved solved by a lot of copulation, Willow. Yeah, apparently. Um, so, <laughs> but then she gets to the ring world and she has all kinds of problems that it clearly, you know, Louis like, I was right. You weren't fit to go on this mission to begin with because you're too young and you're too dumb and you don't know anything and what? you're not. Well, it, it, it's so strange because she, she's, she's characterized as like, the, she's never had any consequences at all. She's so lucky. She's never had any consequences, right. right? She's never failed at anything. She's never been hurt. She's not afraid of anything. He describes her as uh, the girl who always won. And at one point he says mm-hmm. that the toast never falls on the, on the buttered side for her, which is very strange. Which, and, I think it's a I think it's a fun character concept, um, well, but it, it also does it leaves a lot to be desired in terms of being a fully fleshed out character. Well, and I, but but that's kind of his point. Like like I I think he's I think he's trying not to be misogynistic about it. Or if 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 uh, if he is being misogynistic <laughs> about it, it, it's to the extent that Wu is the misogynist here. Like the, it's the way Wu sees her. I mean that that that, that would be I, I think a real characterization here, but. You know, it, it would be true, but I, I don't think it makes it quite readable, though, either to me, at least not in this in this time. Well, by the end of the book, the, to move forward, because um, she gets stranded from, from for a while. Yeah, she's separated. She and, crashes. They think she's dead. And we, we meet her again, and she's found this sort of hulking caveman kind of guy uh, he's, whose he's, name is also Speaker funny i guess oh is his name speaker i, I didn't get that uh, yeah no his name is speaker and she's like i'm in love with him and we're gonna go see the the cyber world. like we're gonna a, go he, explore the ring world together he's got a black sword and muscles and and he's like elric and conan put together i mean <laughs> <laughs> right and, so and he's, he's also very just, old that's right so but she but he's not smart but so she just kind of jumps from uh, as um louis sort of theory is that like she only in falls she only falls in love with these men because it it sort of increases her survivability for any given time Mm -hmm. uh being in love with with louis you know only helped her get to the ring world and now being in love with this guy is going to help her you know be on the ring world and that at some point some some other way she'll she'll find her own way off the planet and go on more and more adventures next thousand years whatever because she can't she can't fail well i think it's i think it's yeah it's weird yeah yeah i mean they come to the conclusion that the whole reason this any of this happened was to get tila to the ring world because that was her destiny and it's very condescending at the end because like Wu says basically it's the only it's the only way she could become fully human to have the experiences she needed to become fully human was on the ring world right like traveling with this guy and this is but this is what i'm saying though is that i think the the book is misogynistic as a whole because of tila brown and also this other character whose name i've forgotten it's some crazy name oh it's uh i I think she goes by prill the the the, the, the engineer but she she has it's arlo prill is basically something I mean, because Prill is very similar in a way where Prill is basically just already a thousand year old sex master who <laughs> like, no, I mean, she's literally described as being like a Machiavellian villain with, with sex powers that like, like Louis can't resist having sex with her. Yes, and that, yes. And, and that the, the power of her orgasms 
bring kingdoms to to ruin like i don't <laughs> I, I i'm not the one who wrote this book don't like well, don't I, accuse I, me if, if, I could, if i could if i could back up from that for a minute i the, 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 i mean that bothers me but but there were a few things in the tila brown like arc that that really like turned me off from the book there, there was yeah. one there was like, like Wu at one point lets her go get burned like like when they're trying yes. to trying to escape from the the crash ship and uh there's this big mm-hmm. rut of land and uh he describes her he says she was one of those rare lucky women whom crying does not make ugly <laughs> like i just found that so fucking condescending yeah no that's a terrible that is a terrible one and then and then and then after he lets her burn her feet he he's trying to he's trying to make her feel valued he says we need you to keep me happy so i don't rape nessus that's what louis wu says oh, to her Christ. like like just fucking the worst the worst line in a book that i've ever i mean like well and the the implication of course which that aside from the the raping nessus part obviously that's um the whole reason like he is he could have prevented her from from burning herself but he's like no she must learn like the, you, she'll learn better if she survives a burn than if she doesn't then. right and that's just a stupid, shitty way to exist. Yeah. No, well, well, this, it, well, it's um, like it's like a child. He's like, well, she's not gonna she's not gonna die, so I'm gonna let her learn from this. And like, like it's so right. It's so insulting. And like after the crash, they just have to set out across the ring world. I should say the ring world is a million miles across, and they don't know exactly where they've landed in the middle because their ship is is really messed up. Um, so they get on these flyers with these tools, with this giant digger, and like these flashlights that are also laser beams, and they. They head off and they start encountering humanity and these buildings of these once great towns that have now fallen apart because the buildings that used to float on the air are now uh, on the ground. And everybody is worshipping the engineers as gods, apparently, and they pretend to be engineers with some some good effect and some bad effect, depending on where they are. And uh, they, just, they just go along and copulate their way across <laughs> across this enormous distance. And then the truth about Nessus comes out and the Kazin tries to seize power and then... They lose Tila, and then they, uh, I don't know, they um, they come across this uh, living engineer who has some, who, who, who basically is evidence of some uh, anti-aging drug that's even more powerful than the booster spice they use on Earth, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's very strange. There's, there's evidence that species were collected, plant species were collected from other places, and terrible things happen and good things happen, but it's not much of an adventure, right? It's kind of dull. Did you find that? Yeah, well, it's an adventure that doesn't amount to much because, you know, by the end of this book, what did they... We we learned some things about the ring world, but it, I feel like everything that we needed to learn, we learned basically within the first couple days there. And then we just kind of wandered around. Uh, you know, it's not like they fought like a big dragon or anything. I think the, mo- the, the greatest danger they came across were like some crazy sunflowers. Was that right? Yeah, some flowers that like blind people. And like, 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 like it's like it's like the ring world is so big that whenever like, like oh, these things are going to take over the ring world eventually. I guess that'll be bad for the ring world. Oh, I guess there's a hole. Right. I guess there's a hole in ring world where the atmosphere is leaking out of. And that's creating this giant storm. But that'll take eons to, <laughs> to lose right. all the atmosphere. The, the- it's like, what? What what is happening? Well, here? and th- they encounter some strange stuff, like because so one of the details is they're they're flying on their hover bikes or whatever, and they see just a giant eyeball in the sky. Right. And I can't remember if we ever figure out what that is because I feel like they, they come up with yeah, some theories, yeah. but I don't think they ever answer it. No, no, they do they do answer it. So Wu is pretty freaked out because it looks so much like an eyeball, like looking at him yes. made of clouds, and and they figure out that there's a, there's a puncture inside of it, a storm, and that that hurricanes wouldn't work the same way that they would in on Earth because of the uh-huh. spin, right? 
And so, so the eye formation is is Niven's idea of what a storm would look like, a circular storm would okay. look like uh, on the ring world, because it's it is spinning. You know, there there is force, but the force is because of the spin of spin of the ring. So that's what it would look like. And so there there are two sure. holes in the ring world. There's the there's the hole that's there, which that when they realize that's evidence of a hole, that, then Wu has this kind of idea that that um, he doesn't voice that that the peak the crazy peak they see is not actually a, a regular formation of the ring world. It's, it's like a, a meteorite or something slammed into the ring and basically went through it. And he's betting that on, on the very top of that, it's open to space. And, and so they, I mean, I mean, the way they get off the ring world after Tila stays with her barbarian guy, after, after Tila is sold to him because women are slaves in his culture, apparently uh, just one last ding against Tila, uh, after after that, they go back to the ship and just tow it up this mountain until they fall through it into space and are set free. Right? I mean, is that is that is that is that your read of that? I I mean, I, I trust you on that. There's so much stuff. There's so much stuff that's thrown at that us, and most of it it feels like it doesn't really matter. Right. Right. Um, Absolutely. They, they spend a lot of time being lost, and and by the end of it, like they're they're going places. You know, things kind of return to the the state of normalcy. Louis and Speaker make up with Nessus because they had they've had multiple big fights across the the, the novel, mm-hmm. um, and they're gonna go back home to their own people and then have the hyperdrive. You know, everything everything basically works out, but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel earned it doesn't feel like um or rather what what we needed from a narrative point of view was we needed something greater and more interesting like we needed a villain we needed uh we needed to lose everything and and come back with more you know very classic i mean i I say this about most books but i just feel like um everything wraps up in a way that uh it doesn't it doesn't feel like an adventure was had it doesn't feel like we we learned much. Um, I, I, I entirely we, agree with that. I entirely agree with that. It, we, does, it doesn't have a classic quest structure to it, does it? Right. We as an audience learn lots of things about human versus puppeteers and all that stuff is really interesting. And I, I'm happy to have learned that uh, in terms of Louis Wu's adventure, I couldn't say that it was an interesting one. Well, I don't think I don't think he really grows much. Like I, I think, no, he doesn't. I think Speaker to Animals grows more because Speaker to Animals by the end is like is like is like even thinking about stealing the ship and, and speaker to animals seems to realize that if, if speaker to animals does that, he will bring about the downfall of his species and other species because they will just be so advanced and warlike that they'll win. And and that's not a good thing, but, and and part of the irritation is he's been bred to think like that by the puppeteers, but (laughs) right. It's actually really funny that, um, of, of the characters of our main characters, uh, yeah, Louis basically, comes out the other end the same person does except that he he knows basic facts about uh nessus hasn't changed as far as i can tell at all uh tila as we pointed out is a very infantilized character who she's she's just whatever the author wants her to be at any given because that's how luck works because it's she's just fated to not be a real person essentially and uh speaker to animals is the only one who's like he he treats he treats Louis as sort of like a like a pack mate. Like he's like you. I am bonded with you in the in the laws of honor. Like so so he's he's made it a friend, uh, if not more. He he feels betrayed by by Nessus and the puppeteers, but he sort of overcomes that slowly. Um, he doesn't really have a relationship with. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean uh, t- yeah, he's t- the, he's the only character that 
has any kind of arc whatsoever. And it's a pretty standard arc, you know. Well, well, well Tila becomes this extraneous thing. Like, like Tila is an expression of an idea in a way that Wu is not, right? And so, right. so Wu, that's... Wu that's... is very much a, an Ishmael kind of camera piece, I think, for us. Uh... He's not actually an interesting character. Like, if you were to describe Louis Wu as a character, like, he, is he brash? Is he, you know, irascible? Like, what would you... You, there, I can't think of. I have, he, I have one word. Like sex. I have one word. Horny. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I was gonna yeah. say. I mean, which is funny because you would think over over two hundred years he would have, uh, he would have gotten enough. But uh, <laughs> that's true. I mean, it, 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 it's really it's really odd, but it's it's okay. Like as a as a motivating as a as a motivating factor, it, it's fine. I mean, like it does motivate a lot of people. I'm not denying that. But but it's funny because it doesn't it doesn't lead to the story really. I mean, it it does it does in the sense that like, it's his motivation for saying, "Okay, Tila, come along," but that's not that doesn't really that doesn't create the story, right? It doesn't create the narrative. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm left not not exactly. Well, there is no there is no there feels like there is no there is no journey for Wu. I mean, there is a literal journey, but there is no um, there's no change. Right. So it, it, it's unsatisfying and- in that sense. Right. And aside from Wu, that's basically the novel in a nutshell. It's, it's a collection of really neat ideas. Yeah. Um, but I would not say a, a story makes out of them. Well, and, and, and Prill, the the alien engineer lady who was on the ram ship mm-hmm. that, was, that was apparently going back and forth to planets to scoop up plants and animals. Um, like, like Prill goes with them at the end. Is Nessus alive still? I think so, right? I, I, but Nessus yeah, I think is kind of, Nessus is fine. But Nessus is curled into a ball because the way they escape is kind of, it's kind of supposed to be harrowing, but it doesn't really feel like it's harrowing. Because what's going to no, happen? No, it doesn't feel that. Way. I mean, I mean, it's it's a good description of what's happening, but I I like I was kind of tuned out by then because I just thought, well, now I can see how the escape's going to happen. Like they have they have this problem of trying to launch the ship off the inside of the ring, which uh, you know Niven solves by having a hole that wasn't obviously a hole in the ring because it's above the atmosphere, right? So it doesn't have the storm clouds. Um, it's 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 on this peak that is something that tore through the ring from the back. Okay, you know, I mean, it's it, it's all it's all very brilliantly plotted, but not. I, I, yeah, I mean, it feels very much like an episode of Star Trek that, you know, right? Y- you you watch and you say, okay, that was Star Trek, and then you. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it does go back to the status quo to a large extent, and but what's funny is like woo. I'm sure if you if you made Wu into a character in a TV series, you would you would make a few more things to hang his character on. Like there'd just be something else, right? Some bit of dialogue, make it so, right? There'd be there'd be something, and over time you would. <laughs> well, I mean, over over time you would develop, uh, you would develop him into some kind of in, into a character, and maybe maybe he's in some of the other stories that Niven wrote. I know there's a sequel to this. I don't know if Wu is in that, um, but, but I think I mean, and th- that's my approach to character development I, I also don't know how to make anybody care about anybody except for over time get them to build in whatever they want to see in the character right like like from from moments sure. that ring true to me i mean and, and i think i think that's what niven is doing here and, it, and it's it's okay but it's strange to arrive at the end of this and be like do i really care about that guy <laughs> like I, I don't i don't think so he's just kind of along for the ride and so i end up going well is that is that niven stand in for himself it must be right i, I just want to go on this grand adventure um, I want to take you with me, and and that's that's not terrible. Like we need a human along just to see things through human eyes. But 
you know, it's just this very horny guy who's always getting like uh, laid. <laughs> You're like, and and the sex scenes are not even good. There was one, there was one quote from a sex scene that just, it just, it 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 was terrible. Uh, hold on a second, I gotta find it. Do you remember? What, do you remember what I'm talking about? It, it was right after Nessus. They were sneaking off into the woods to 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 go do it some more. And Nessus says, "You amaze me. No no known sentient species copulates as often as you do." Okay, fine. And then. Uh, Presently, Louis rolled onto his back and Tila impaled herself as she straddled his hips. Yeah, oh <laughs> I was I like, I was like, uh, oh my god! I mean, th- this is the reason I don't write sex scenes. <laughs> this is this is <laughs> heinous. This is yeah. This is why you write god. comics. You, you write that in the description. Then you have you have nobody, the uh, you have the artist draw something finds, better than that. Do you think anybody would be like, ooh, she? Mm. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. I think they have. <laughs> Well, if your name was Larry Niven. Well, no, I mean, I don't think I don't think Niven was turned on by that either. You know, I mean, like 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 there, there's very little that's even um, erotic about the sex scenes in this in this book. It's so strange. It's it's because like like it seems it seems that you're supposed to have like like I said like you're supposed to have this adventure through through Wu. Like the reader is supposed to have this adventure, and um, you know the the reader is not supposed to be a woman. I don't think, or it's it's not really written for women. Um, it's written for this kind of male sci-fi reader, mm-hmm. um, you know, of a certain age. And, and I mean, it was written around the time I was born. And so it's, it's even a little bit, it, it feels, it feels old to me. Right. And it is old. Right. It, I mean, it's, I, it's 52 years old now. I suppose if you were of a certain age, the idea of who just throw themselves at you or inexplicably in love with you and they have all these wonderful qualities, like sure, that, that level of wish fulfillment is enough to hook you maybe yeah i mean i mean or just just the idea the unwritten idea of the sex going on all the time in the book is is kind of is oh man this is this is a lot more sex than i've seen in science fiction novels to this point probably you know you have this like this pretty young thing on she used to be blue she's not now right i was chrome yellow i'm not now like, whoa <laughs> like, you know what i mean like whatever uh it's it's very strange it, it's just it, it, it's it's uh but 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 i think i think that i can't quite place it in the big idea novel context of its time like you know i know foundation is was written before this but foundation is another one of those big idea novels uh, of science fiction mm-hmm. um I, I, now i've never read foundation i've tried a few times and I, I find it uh too difficult to read for exactly the reasons that i'm having difficulty with this book although this book was much more entertaining this book i, I had no problem reading this book you know it flowed like, right like 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 niven can write and uh you know it like as far as far as it goes, like I I did enjoy this book. I see why it won uh, the awards, although I don't know what it was up against. Um, right. You right. know, I, I mean, I mean, so I think in the context, it was probably just the most erotic thing going, and and super adventurous, and didn't really need that hero's journey. And maybe maybe it got noticed because it didn't have that. Right. Maybe it got noticed because it was so different, so differently structured. There were so many like Conan the Barbarian takeoffs here, and this almost threatens to turn into that and then it kind of makes fun of it when tila goes off with the conan-esque character to to wander the you know millions if not billions of miles of ring world um it's just it's just so strange it's so strange that i feel like i feel like maybe i'm missing something here i mean i'm sure i'm missing something that other people would see but but uh yeah i mean not unenjoyable i'm not sure if i'll ever read the sequel but i'm i'm highly curious about the man kazin wars books which which uh niven didn't write I think he probably contributed to them, but they tend to be anthologies of short stories. There's 15 of them as of as of uh, a couple of years ago. The 15th came out. I'm 
I'm highly curious as to what those are like, and if if Wu appears mm-hmm. in them, and if Speaker to Animals appears in them. I, I just I kind of want to know, so I think I'll probably check out one of those at some point, um, if not more than one. Uh, you do, do you have any desire to read more Niven? I mean, you read the Man of Steel, Women of Tissue Paper, which was probably <laughs> hilarious for its time. Women of Kleenex. Uh, yeah, I uh, I mean, <laughs> if if you want to talk about something that's overwritten, the, the basic concept of Superman, like all you have to say is. You know, Superman would probably kill Lois Lane if he had sex with her. Like that's it's it's one sentence too. If you want to include stuff about Kryptonite, no, but the, but, uh, but, but the details, the details about his sperm roaming around Metropolis after they burrow out of her womb and cause sepsis is hilarious. I had a I had a much higher opinion of Ringworld before we started talking about it because I was able to push aside all of the extremely horny stuff. But now that I mm. think about it, it's like yeah, that really does take up a of this book and it, i don't like it I don't, I don't like sex scenes in general unless unless the book is explicitly about that and the book is meant to be erotica yeah. um and who wants to read a whole that you can only sustain it for- yeah yeah i mean I, I, yeah. anyway well i i and I, I didn't i didn't not enjoy this book i mean i, I did enjoy this book but it's so weird right. to like in as far as i can enjoy a book where the only female character is completely infantilized all the way through but but that's right. p- that's part of the point like like the the power that she has has infantilized her i mean i found myself thinking about uh x-men comics and uh the character Longshot, who i really liked when i was a teenager who who was was written about that time and came into the scene uh Longshot's power is luck right and um i mean i i really enjoyed the idea of Longshot because Longshot was like spider-man without all the dexterity like Longshot was just always in the right place at the right time <laughs> right but you, you never really thought about how Longshot would affect everything going on around him. So sure, um, but yeah, as a whole, I I like the first half of this book quite a bit, and mm-hmm. I like bits and pieces of it. But overall, I I enjoy things of this era. I mm-hmm. I, I enjoy this writing style very much. Uh, but it is missing just a really strong plot to, to hang all the detail onto. I like the character dynamics in that way. It's um, it actually is very similar to Star Trek: The Next Generation. My my review of Star Trek: The Next Generation is, I love all the characters. I just wish that the episodes were better. I I I, I love watching Pekirk and Pekirk. That's Pekirk. Uh, <laughs> all right, that was starting nice. over. Pekirk. I, I love watching Picard and uh, the Doctor and. I can't remember anyone's name right now because of COVID brain fog. Dr. Uh, Crusher, William I, Riker, Jordy LaForge. Thank you. Right. They're they're all interesting characters and they all interact well and they're all very charismatic and they have great discussions with each other. But every individual episode of that show is just like, Captain, the planet's going to turn around if oh we don't God. make it happy. They're so and... painful. They're so painful to rewatch. It's unbelievable. I right. tell you. Yeah. Which is right, which is something that uh, th- that's why I preferred the original series much more is because the individual stories of an episode are far more interesting and the characters are, are fun to watch and they're very dramatic. Um, but I think it's that thing, anyway, I think so, it's that thing we're able to invest. We're able to invest in um, in the characters because over time we see different elements of them and we, we fill in the background. Right. It's so hard to do in a novel, but so many people pull it off. Um, yeah, but, but I think there's that's something there's something about episodic TV that's really well written that's, that's written for characters rather than than the plot necessarily, where it's 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 so and, and Star Trek really succeeded at that right like, like like it made us invest to such an extent that these these characters become um, real to us and they have a life outside of the shows and then fan fiction comes up and the comics work and and they keep 
they keep going and going and going and they're so identified with the people who right who starred right. in the show that they almost don't have careers after that because what the what the hell else can they do right right well that that was something that i was trying to talk about many podcast episodes and we read all those moon knight comics is i was making that same case about all of the the best superheroes mm. uh that right like you you know who spider-man is even he's not on panel right right you know you know who captain america is uh that, yeah I, I i agree with what you're saying i think we've probably gotten as much ring out of this world as we're gonna get <laughs> very nice very nice what are we reading next time willow the it's... next book is i i picked it i know what it, it's called sabriel by garth nix i'm very excited to reread this i haven't read it for probably 20 years i remember liking it a good I, deal. uh yeah, I, I read it via audiobook of, because, of course, I did. The audiobook was narrated by Tim Curry. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. In a surprisingly uh, constrained performance. I had to go find another copy because I recently gave um, my copy of this book and uh, Clariel, I think, which is the the beginning book in the next uh, Sabriel sequence, the next Old Kingdom sequence. Uh, I feel to, bad that every, every book... <laughs> Every single book that I choose for the podcast, or or at least that I have a partial uh, command over, all all end up being extremely horny ones. And <laughs> that's not by that's not by choice, or that's not something that I want, but it does keep happening. Well, there's nothing nothing horny about Sabriel, as far as I remember. <laughs> have you? Have that's, you... Oh, you're wrong about that. Oh, really? Oh, I'm excited. There. All right then. All right. <laughs> oh right. yeah. Well, stay tuned for next time. And if you have a suggestion for something we should read for the podcast, uh, please email us at bookstabberpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, I don't know. Thanks. Until thanks for then, folks, keep stabbing. Keep stabbing. Later.